Welcome to the Hyperfixated Persons Unit. I'm Goldie, and my first law states that all robots must make the cool whirring and clicking floppy drive noises when thinking. I'm Claire, and my second law states that all robots must be fuckable, unless such fuckability would conflict with the first law. I'm Joel, and in my third law, it states that all robots must have strong opinions on niche media, unless such opinions come into conflict with the first two laws. Which uh, means if they hold unfuckable opinions... Or, or such fuckability, or if they're <laughs> floppy drive... Uh, yeah, floppy, drive, floppy drive can be unfuckable. <laughs> it is uh, having a floppy drive can make them unfuckable, but all fuckability must have floppy drives. Well, I mean, maybe like we shouldn't be putting all the sort of responsibility on the robots. Sometimes we need to adapt and uh, maybe put floppy. Sometimes drives we on need ourselves. a flat floppy dish <laughs> shaped penis. I think that the robot just needs to be able to justify that they are fuckable in some way. The robot must find their own yes. fuckability inside. To Indeed. exist at all times. Welcome to the Hyperfixated Persons <laughs> Unit. Everybody, uh, we are talking about... We are, are we talking about? about Isaac Asimov's... Uh, when did this book come out? Sometime. Uh, in, the, in 1983. Ooh. We are going to talk about Isaac Asimov's The Robots of Dawn. I didn't know he was making books that late. I just assumed he was just... Uh, I, I don't actually know if this is... Uh, well, my copy says his epic new robot novel. Um... <laughs> uh, yeah, so Isaac Asimov, big science fiction writer, uh, writer of the Three Laws of Robotics, which he wrote not to say this is how you should make robots. He wrote them to say this is how you shouldn't make robots because all of his books are about picking apart these three laws. Uh, he's the author of the Foundation book series, which was recently made into a Apple TV show. I watched, watched the first couple episodes of it. It's pretty all right. Um, it's a big uh, sci-fi op- space opera. All of his books are loosely in in the same canon. Uh, they just occur in different time periods, but it's also not very hard and fast. Um, uh, one of his series was, is loosely referred to as the Robots series, where he just wrote a bunch of books about what if it's like kind of space humans sort of, and there are robots. How does that affect society? Uh, the book that we're going into, The Robots of Dawn, is the third part of a trilogy of books that he did. Uh, which were all robot murder mystery whodunits, um, where he has a human detective with a robot partner who go along and solve solve a mystery during each book. Is iRobot part of that trilogy? It's not. iRobot is not part of that trilogy, but it is based on a story that's within the robots era. Okay. Um, of things. Um, I can't. I think iRobot is the name of one of the short stories, uh, but it's not the story that that one was based off of. Um, a lot of his uh, so iRobot and Bicentennial Man are both movies based off of his works some more loosely than others um, I think it's untapped media um, that there's a lot of really good stuff in it there's uh, it's, it's the kind of thing that like George Lucas probably read a whole bunch of before he went and made Star Wars um, the Foundation series is pretty prototypical of Star Wars in a way wait doesn't Isaac Asimov like, go really deep into like the ethics of robots whereas oh yeah it's something that Star Wars is like not known for. Star Wars is the exact opposite <laughs> of that. The funniest thing in Star Wars Solo was when they got within a hair's breadth of acknowledging that droids are slaves uh, and are sentient and no, uh, not consenting to the slavery that they're in, and then they brushed it aside. They're like, we're not talking about this. Are droids actually slaves? Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. We're done with that. So uh, this one is the opposite of that, where it's all about our robot slaves. Yes. Um, so in this trilogy, the the way the kind of 
setting is Earth. Is, it's half past the future. Earth is uh, hyper populated with everyone living in these incredibly dense subterranean cities. Yes, Claire. I just um, just on that note, I kind of I follow this one guy on YouTube, and his name is. Isaac Arthur, because he was named after Isaac Ooh, Asimov. That's a powerful name. Yeah, <laughs> and he um, does all these different episodes on different futuristic concepts, mm-hmm. and he loves Isaac Asimov, as one would hopefully do so if It'd you're named if after them. Um, but his, uh, he does criticise him on the idea that of these like hyper-populated cities because he says that the population he gives for these hyper-populated cities are actually way too small and that you could actually, if you were actually like packing that many people in, it would actually be like trillions of people on earth. Whereas mm. I think in the book, it's like just a few billion. I can't remember the exact population size, but yeah, we're going to find uh, a fair amount of anachronisms um, in one of the foundation books. For example, uh, he was describing like in Star Trek, there's a, there's a holiday planet riser, which is just all about vacations and tropical and women in bikinis and all that stuff. They have an equivalent in the foundation series. I can't remember what it's called, but it seems like Asimov sat back and went, okay, what would a holiday planet be like? What is something that uh, seems reasonable that everyone would spend that? What are the leisure activities? Smoking and big game hunting. And that's basically it. Now this. Now I just want to do a podcast episode about this topic. <laughs> uh, about like uh, what a holiday planet would be like. That yeah, that'd be a good one. Uh, but for another time. Uh, so yeah, Earth is hyperpopulated, and I think previously lost a war with these spaces. A lot of space has been colonized, and these various space colonies uh, are very advanced tech-wise. They're very cool with robots. Uh, they're very wealthy and because there's like very little population on other planets, everyone has shit tons of land. Uh, they beat Earth in a war uh, at some point and forced Earth to like not migrate to them because they're like, we want all of these vast open spaces. We don't want you dirty, overpopulated people coming over here. Mm. And Earth is kind of suffering under this. So the three books have often had in the background, Elijah has to solve this case because it's to do with Earth needs some favorable political outcome because we want to start emigrating out into space. Uh, and so they were like, please don't, like one of them has a bombing at the Spacer Embassy on Earth. And the situation is about to get out of hand because people on Earth hate robots. People, the Spacers, love them. Uh, the setting for this one though is we've, we're already two cases deep. Uh, Elijah Bailey is the cantankerous human detective uh, and he is partnered with R. Daniel Olivor. And those pronunciations are I just made up because they're all weird spacey names. R. R. Daniel is a robot, and all robots get the honorific prefix R in front of their names to designate. <laughs> robot. Yeah. R for robot. Specifically for this guy because he's kind of like data level. He l- looks perfectly human and is often mistaken for human. He's one of the most advanced robots out there. Most robots are pretty obvious and clunky. Uh, in this book, they go to the planet... Uh, Aurora, I think it is. Uh, yeah, Planet Aurora. And they find the scientist who built Daniel. And he said, hey, I built another one of Daniel a, a little while ago. Incredibly advanced. He has just been murdered. And they're like, you, you can't murder a robot. They're properly like, ah, I'm going to say he was murdered because he was so advanced. He was basically a person. Uh, all right, how was he murdered? He got into a logic lock. 
of robots, if they're less properly built, uh, can be put into a logic lock and then just broken. If you tell a robot to walk over there and someone else tells a robot to stand still, a really dumb robot will try and process those commands and then eventually burn itself out. The more advanced the robot gets, the better it is at for solving these sort of things. These robots were so advanced that you would need to sit there for hours telling them prepositions and suppositions for all of this logical stuff to lock them into this state to kill them. And the inventor of this robot says, I am the only person on this planet who knows enough about these robots to have done this, to have killed them, and I didn't do it. Please go solve this murder mystery. I feel like that's bad design. Like, not for the advanced robot, but just for the idea that, like, if a robot gets confused, it'll die. It'll die. <laughs> like, surely there should be some sort of, like, override function, like, like just, like, a control-alt-delete or something. Well, that's the sort of thing, like, the shitty robots just don't have that built into them, and that's why they're shitty. Um, the, uh, the better ones have ways of, uh, like, more advanced logic to be able to go, well, that's dumb, and I'm going to stop processing this at this point. Um, so the more advanced the robot is, the better, the tidier it is in its mental functions. It's like opening a million tabs of Google Chrome on your computer, and then the RAM catches fire. Mm. Um, the more advanced can, the more advanced robots can figure it out. All of the book is going to be uh, various. It's all detective work. So uh, the two of them are going to go and explore this planet going to interview everyone. There's very little hard evidence that they have, so it's all a bunch of monologues and descriptions and trying to logic things together. The reason why I like this book is because it was just, it's a very uh, tightly wound logical sort of thing. I always like the stories where you checkmate an opponent and like the Sherlock Holmes, Watson sort of shit, uh, even though that's not, like real life is way messier than that. This is just all very neat and tidy. And this was actually the first Asimov book I read. Cool. Uh, afterwards, I went back and read the first two, The Caves of Steel and something else. Uh, and they were good, but I remember liking this one more. Uh, and I, in, there's some context that are good that is, might help, but the book does start with kind of a recap of where everything is at the time. Uh, most humans are agoraphobic because they've been living in these underground cities for so long. And Elijah has started to overcome his fears and is helping his son and a bunch of other people start to explore out to get ready to become spaces. Um, and yeah, so that's the book that I'm going to be giving to you guys. Wonderful. Why do you like this one better than the other two? I think because I liked the ending and I liked the setting. Um, it The first one feels very much like it's a lot of setup and is a bit dry as a result. It's also set on Earth, which I didn't find particularly interesting because it was describing a cramped, cluttered city. Uh, which isn't a sci-fi environment that I found particularly interesting. This one explores basically a kind of utopian world where you have to drive for hours across perfectly manicured lawns maintained by robots. People don't physically interact anymore because they live so far apart and they use virtual reality to call people. It, Elijah goes to meet people in person and they are horrified at the fact of the idea of being in another room with someone. It's a post-COVID society. It's a post, yes. very post-COVID society. Um, I liked the long, uh, the monologues in it. I liked that everything in the case had to be solved through logic alone. And they had to, and it, it seems the, pr the start of the case is an impossible dilemma of I'm the only one who's killed them, uh, who could have done it, and I didn't kill them. So one of those has to be false, but the book tries to exhaustively go through and figure out which one of those is false. Um, I just really liked it as a, as a nice uh, self-contained uh, 
whodunit mystery, uh, and it also had some really cool ideas for why this is important, why we should care, and this like the political context outside of that. I always like that for a sci-fi story, uh, and the characters are uh, just enjoyable and fun to fun to hear about. Okay, cool. That you answered almost every one of my follow-up questions there, <laughs> which was annoying, but still. So got, gotcha. This sounds so. We're doing two detective books back to back. Yep. Okay. Cool. Fun. <laughs> this one is going to be a lot less uh, icky. There will be. I don't. A lot more shiny. Probably no fluids uh, in this book, as probably opposed no to the copious fluids uh, in the last one. Do the, do the two main characters fall in love in this one as well? Oh, that's too long a pause. No. Whatever you say now, the answer is yes. Uh, I'll I'll let you f- you find out. Um, uh, I could I could debate either way, honestly. Can a robot fuck? Can you? <laughs> God, I've got to make that. Yeah, that's so good. Um, and then he just looks really sad. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, can I? Okay. Um, this is also one of those sort of uh, sci-fi books from like seventies and eighties where um, the covers were just random sci-fi. They got like had a bunch of artists in a room just making shit, and they just slap them onto whatever. So the I cover of the book that, that I'm holding up has no bearing on it the book like itself. A, yeah, this looks a, like a city-sized robot grabbing a a, a giant flying tree. Pen? I thought it was a, like an alien tree. Uh, it was like a bulb on the top. Yeah. Um, I love I love this sort of style art. There's some uh, folks on Tumblr, uh, sorry, on Twitter that are posting a whole bunch of this um, and then saying where it got used. But this was where like you would just spit out a ton of artwork, sell it, and then a publisher would just slap it onto any of these books. Um, as far as getting copies of these, uh, I've got uh, an ebook copy uh, as well as some uh, audiobook versions that yeah. you guys will be able to choose from. Um, I've got a hard copy myself that I'm going to be reading. I did look for hard copies for you guys, but I couldn't find them. We should be able to find them in secondhand shops, so if you like, I'll keep hunting. Yep. Uh, this book is still in print. Uh, I saw there's some like new versions of it recently published because Isaac Asimov is, just keeps on going. Um, but this should be pretty easy Wait, is he for still alive? to find. Oh no, he's still dead. I mean, like his he books hasn't come st- back as far as I know. <laughs> his books are still in print, uh, and people. Uh, there's, I don't know if it's one of his descendants or just someone has been given like the mantle to be allowed to continue the stories in canon. Um, so there's uh, like, yeah, there's continuations of some of the threads. The books are continuing. Mm. It will never die. All uh, right, cool. But yeah, so yeah, I, I think it's a really fun, uh, old like older classic sort of sci-fi thing. Um, it's all logic-based. Um, there's barely one action scene really and uh even that is a bit of a stretch but it's still exciting um okay yeah cool can i ask how long is the audiobook uh no i didn't check um (laughs) uh, i'll have a look later i imagine that uh fear not it is i goldie from the future here to shame my ill-prepared and past self the two audiobooks I was able to find are both approximately 14 hours in total length. One read by Bob Askey, recorded in 1984 in crunchy cassette quality, and the other read by Willem Dafree, recorded in 2007. But yeah, it's it's a good thick-sized novel, a couple hundred uh, pages. Um, yeah. Uh, Claire, any, any thoughts, any questions? 
Uh, I just feel like I should probably read an Isaac Asimov novel at some point in my life, so this seems like a good opportunity. Considering how much you want to fuck robots, yes. Yeah, it I would got be. A, my cred. Yeah, it's like, like being a Christian without reading the Bible, Claire. <laughs> well, that's not that uncommon. <laughs> yeah, I go... Uh, mm. <laughs> But yeah, that, that was never pretty, mind. <laughs> that was pretty much my idea. That was why I, I read this one. This, I just kind of picked uh, from a bunch that uh, my nonna bought me a whole bunch of these books, and I started reading one of the foundation books, which was a prequel written uh, to to so a book written as a prequel to the foundation series. And I started reading that one, and I never finished it. Uh, I've since read the first two foundation novels, and they're all right. Um, uh, but yeah, this one uh, always stood out for me. Um, I haven't read it in a long time, so I might hate it now. Um, but That's I remember the old Joel special. Yep, the, we might get. A Joel I haven't out done of this. this in a long time. <laughs> wow, I hate this. <laughs> Yay! Uh, but hopefully, I'll continue my track record of picking crowd pleasers. Hey. This is probably the more. This is probably the riskiest one you've done. Yeah, I, all of my others have been pretty safe bets. Uh, so fucking ice cream. Yep. This that's, is, you're that's, some chalky chips in there this now. Is, this is the dark chocolate. <gasps> this is adventure. fancy stuff. <laughs> the, the it's still Cadbury, though. stuff. All right, cool. No problem. All right, look, I'm looking forward to this. I honestly don't have anything to add to it, really. Mm-hmm. It's, it's about robots. Yep. Can they robot? They do. Uh, it's about robots. Uh, it's about yes. fucking. It's about love. It's about death. Is uh, it about love? Yeah, there's, oh, nice. there's there's some love in love, this. Love, death, and robots. Uh, you love death and robots. Yeah, another sorry series I haven't finished. Really? How have you not finished that? I got like most of the way it's through. It's like an hour long. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's I watched like I watched a good bunch of them. I liked most of the stories, but then I just got up and left at some point and ah, went back to it. The old executive dysfunction. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was so easy to put down because they're all in bite-sized chunks. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well. I'm pretty good for this. Let's read a book. Yep. Let's come back. Let's ASMR flick some pages. Oh, yeah. yeah right, let's go cool. see that. Let's go. We should ASMR do an episode point. just entirely in ASMR whispers. Yeah, I should. Oh. No. I don't know if I want to do the whispers. <laughs> I will do a topic of ASMR at some point. I, okay. d- I don't want to whisper for two hours. <laughs> that just sounds like parcel that, talk. Yeah, it does. That's um, what it is. There's probably an ASMR parts of tongue video out there. Oh, my, my favorite um, SCP YouTuber, he, he usually does really like serious explainer videos. Yeah, I saw that. Oh, but yeah, for April Fools, he just read um, an SCP joke article just entirely in ASMR, and it went for almost two hours. Jeez. Yeah, the things that Doctor Bright is not allowed to do. Yeah. Is Doctor Bright the psycho one? He's the one who like lives inside the amulet and he possesses oh, bodies. Yeah. yeah, that one. Yeah, I remember him. All right, hang on. I'm just quickly checking parcel, parcel tongue. Uh, we know it's there. Yeah, I do, but <laughs> I want to prove. I want to see how many there are. ASMR. That is all right. One, two, three, four. ASMR four is like the new mm-hmm. porn. It there is ASMR porn, uh, and there is know, ASMR yeah. which is clearly meant to titillate. Yeah, um, but it's like it's like the new porn in that like you know there's porn and everything audio now drops. there's ASMR of everything. Yeah. And it's everywhere. That's quite true. My favorite video recently is one where two elvish queen's hands maidens kind of make you over to be fit for the queen. 
It's that sounds kind of fun. It is. It's really fun. It's the same person who plays both, and she's clearly just done a f- half an hour unbroken take twice, where she plays different people wow. each time. She's very talented. You you should send that to I me. I will for send it to you. It is. It is fascinating. It is fun. Is it endearing? It is kind of erotic. It is everything you want in a robot novel, which is what we'll go in into. In a robot novel. <laughs> <laughs> All right, never mind. We're not talking about ASMR yet. <laughs> I will curse you with that later. All right, let's do it. All right, we're fixating. Identify. Murder's a new trick for a robot. Respond. Did not murder him! All right, well, that was fucked. Welcome back to Mr. Bailey's wild ride, (laughs) where the ride never stops. It didn't stop. Even when it stopped, it didn't stop. That went to places I was not expecting. Yeah. So... I read this, I must have been in like uni or late high school or something. Uh, I didn't remember that two thirds of the book was about the ethics of, of sex. Yeah, it just, that book just got hornier and hornier, didn't it? It did. Like, well, it, it, I wouldn't say it got, yeah, no, it did get hornier over time. And like, uh, it just, I'm here to talk about robots, my dude. Uh, <laughs> like, no, I, we're here to talk about fucking robots. Like, there wasn't. Uh, fucking a, a, family members as well. Yeah. And, and, so, family members. and bathrooms. Yeah. A lot of bathrooms. A yeah, lot, a lot of, of bathrooms. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, implied horny urinals at one point. This is really like just... This was a strangely horny... I feel like this was written for fetishes that I don't have. Um, yeah, so I, I didn't remember half of that. Uh, normal spoiler warning because we can't talk about anything interesting in the book without that, of course. So fuck off, go read the book or or too, too bad, so sad. Um... We're assuming yeah. that they have read the book, so yes. we could just go ahead and spoil yeah. everything. Yeah, so like, <laughs> yeah, Mr. Bailey goes to goes to Aurora. Uh, he gets given an offer he can't refuse. What is that offer? We should explain it for people who haven't read yeah, it. Yeah, so, uh, well, like, the premise that we talked about in the intro um, of he's been summoned to the space world of Aurora uh, to investigate the quote-unquote murder of the second human form robot, the most yes. advanced robot in existence. And he has a vested interest in doing this yeah, because, because the, doing so may repair relationships with Earth and Aurora enough that they will be allowed to settle the galaxy. Because yeah. everyone in space is in a massive cunt. Yeah. A all, massive racist all cunt. All of the <laughs> spaces like tolerate or hate each other to varying degrees, but all of them hate Earth. For Earth no is, like, particular Earth reason has that's really too many, explained. Like, it's a very, I mean, it'd It'd be pro- Pauline Hans could probably empathize a lot with the spaces of it's a great unwashed horde, basically mm. of these millions of people all densed up, all diseased, and everything. It's a it's a standard racism sort of thing. There seemed to be the implication that humans on Earth chose that existence. If that makes sense, that they were like humans on Earth live in huge hive cities and practice the way they do. Because that's what they like, if that makes like sense, which is a very racist tactic. Like, some of them chose it, but some of them clearly want to leave, but they're not allowed? Like, yeah. how are they not allowed? So, like, uh, I, some, I have gone through and read the, the previous two books of this series, and something that didn't come up is that there was a war between Earth and the spaces at some point, and Earth lost. Uh. Um, and so that has led to the current state of politics. Mm. Uh, that was a long time ago, but I think it is, like, there is... On Earth, that I think they also because Earth's biosphere is kind of fucked or used to be kind of fucked that they've just grown used to cities mm-hmm. uh, like that. Um, it but didn't the reason sound why that fucked when they were outside. Yeah, yeah, it seems like that's all kind of done, and they're just now creatures of habit. Yeah. Um, the reason why Earth can't leave is because the spaces will like bomb the crap out of them uh, if they 
like because Earth ships aren't as good as spacer ships, and they're sort of blockaded, mm. like lightly, like they're not such officially. Cunts. Yeah. Yeah. So Bailey, so Bailey goes there. Uh, he hops on a rocket ship. Uh, he says to his son, "Hey, kiddo, uh, keep doing what you're doing with getting everybody ready for space because you're the future." And he goes like, "Hey, Dad, yeah." So that Solarian woman <laughs> that you uh, talked about did a whole bunch from the last that one, Solarian woman, yeah, did dad? you fuck her, Dad? <laughs> and he's just like, "No, <laughs> no, shut up, I'm going, bye." I like that whole thing with the um, movie that kept coming up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I like it when, because one thing that kind of annoys me in a lot of things where, you know, the main characters go and have all these wild adventures and then nobody ever seems to recognize them later on. Like, I know The Simpsons is a comedy, but if, if The Simpsons was, like, a mildly, like, even vaguely realistic, they'd be, like, worldwide celebrities for mm. all the things that they've happened, but still people don't recognize them. Yeah. Well, like, things... Uh Sort of similar, but like uh, in, I think it was Civil War, um, uh, Marvel, whatever, Civil War in the movie, um, they go through and show like at the United Nations of Earth knows about the events of all the previous films. Because there's a lot of them where like there was no camera crew that we saw in the previous films recording and documenting all of this shit. And some of them they genuinely don't know about because mm-hmm. like Thor was off in his own world doing his own thing at the time. But they were like, okay, f- for the sake of the audience and everything, this is what the Earth general public knows about superheroes to set yes. the stage, which I really appreciate. Because sometimes it's like, do we know that Iron Man saved the president in Iron Man 3? Or does, or is that under wraps? Do we not know about that? Yeah, um, Marvel's really good for that. <clears throat> yeah, is. like at, the f- at first I was like, eh, but then they have definitely caught up with it. But yeah, like having, yeah, having this movie going throughout, uh, the thing, and he's just constantly like, God, I fucking, no, I'm not like, no, I'm not that guy. Chris Hemsworth did, I don't look like Chris Hemsworth, I'm sorry. So, there's that. So, he goes to Aurora, mm. where he meets Dr. Fastoff, who has to be, if it wasn't for all the other massive cunts that he meets, probably the biggest cunt in the world. Mm. Um, he's high he, on his own supply. He's high on his own supply. Um, he seems to take pleasure in frustrating the investigation that's meant to save him. (laughs) Mm. Um, So uh, he's more prepared to accept that he has done, killed something he hasn't killed than admit that he maybe isn't the smartest person ever. Yeah, it's like... That, um, that, that bathroom scene gave me so much anxiety. Yes. One of the bathroom... One of the many there bathroom so scenes. many bathrooms. I cannot emphasize how many bathroom scenes there are that I have already skipped uh, I'm in surprised, this summary. I'm surprised um, that one director hasn't adapted this book. Yes. Oh, what's his name again? Who? That bathroom guy. You know, the one that did I The don't. Shining? Oh, Stanley Kubrick? Yeah. yeah. He's, Isn't he dead? He's not. It's the yeah, but I'm pretty sure dead, that I don't know. Is but um, the book was written well, while he was alive, for sure. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I, I'm surprised he missed the opportunity to film that many bathroom scenes. I have to double check. I'm now wondering if he's dead. But anyway, yeah, okay. moving on uh, from uh, that, uh, chat, chat, and comments. Tell us <laughs> if Stanley Cooper's dead or not. Yes, in the comments. <laughs> please tell us if he's dead. Send us any emails. We won't read it. We won't. Yeah, we will. We'll, I'll probably read the one about him being dead. But that's fine. So, yes or no? That's it. Yeah. Um. So. Stanley Kubrick perished on March 7, 1999. Okay, so another thing, so something I think would make this... If I, I were finish my summary? Oh, sorry, yes. Okay, cool, real quick. Then, well, then we can go crazy. Yeah. I just want to get it done. So he goes... Um, so he then investigates, finds a character who... The Salarian woman he's met before is now living on this world and is still mad horny. So horny yes, that Gladia. She, so, yeah, Gladia is so horny that she was fucking the robot who's dead, mm-hmm. which is a big 
possible controversy. It's a bit weird. It's, um, it's like a taboo, and she is very. There's a lot of sexual trauma. I don't think it's like the idea that she was fucking him that was taboo. The fact she thought of him as his husband. Yeah, she thought of yeah. him as a, her husband. His marriage and must result in children because his book. Um, I'm hyper aware of like, is this gonna get homophobic at any point? And it it just never. I never got it. the impression yeah. that it was endorsing their way of doing things. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that happens. He goes and investigates Dr. Fastoff's daughter, who hates him because he wouldn't have sex with her. <laughs> Terrible. Um, Terrible. Her. That, 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 no, I did not definitely do no, that. Like, that was the, fucking, so the fucking the robot part, I was like, oh, okay. And then it got to the incest yeah. part. I was like, oh. So Mr. Bailey's in the room interviewing uh, Vasilio. Vasilio, I think uh, it was. And being like, so uh, you're saying that like, and like, yes. And so I offered myself... Uh, to my father. I hate the and term he, offer myself <laughs> to. It's all they use. And I hate it so much. And he, and he said no. And he goes like, so you were traumatized by uh, being brought up thinking you had to offer yourself to your father. And she goes, no, I'm traumatized because he refused. Yeah. And he goes like, oh God. And he takes another sip. <laughs> yeah. So all this time, I would like to point out, all of this sounds as insane to Bailey as it sounds to us, but he is the man with the most composure in the known universe, apparently. Uh, yeah. And kind I of mean, he does, on. he does have like an existential crisis over the existence of gender-neutral bathrooms. He does. <laughs> um, there's, there's a lot going on in this book in general. Um, it's a bit all over the place in terms of the political compass, but it's... Uh, there's like, there are a good couple of points yeah. uh, in the book when I'm like, hey, everybody... Yeah. Can I just teach you about A, the concept of polyamory, and B, the concept that straight is not the only option? <laughs> and I think this will solve not all, but many of your problems. Many of your societal <laughs> problems. Then he then meets, oh, I can't remember his name. Who's the man slut? Uh, uh, the Gre mustache guy. Yeah. Gre so, Greminois. Like, I think the one of the order Grimalius? books. Uh, Grimalius? I, I, think I, it's I read Grimalius. the book. I didn't listen to it. I think it's Grimalius. Yeah, let's go with Grimalius. Uh, so he, he then interviews Gamalius, who has been trying to fuck almost every character that I've mentioned so far. He's trying to fuck every female character in the world, which is the two that have been introduced. <laughs> yeah, um, and he believes in the idea that maybe we should be monogamous, which is pretty wild on this world. Mm. Um, and he's like, maybe if we hold hands. Yes, yeah, maybe if we held hands, and that seems really fucked up and weird. <laughs> and then he goes, um, for, uh, "Look, we're skipping a lot of nuance, but I can't explain this whole book." And then he interviews the second, the, the real biggest cunt in the world. Yeah. Um, who is... I can only imagine this guy looking like a cartoon character yeah. the way he was described. Mm, yeah. <laughs> the, Dr. Fastoff's rival. He's like... Uh, who tries to abduct him. Old Barris. I'll get... Uh, his mm. name is in... Yeah. Um, oh, by yeah, the way, knows. if you hear background noise, it's our first rainy yes. day. It's our first rainy day. Um, What's his name again? Broadcast. Uh, I'm just getting it up. Um, so enjoy I'm the ambience. Yes. Uh, all of the chapter titles are quite helpfully named. Yes. Uh, Amadiro. 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 So yeah. Amadiro is Dr. Fastoff's rival, and he's probably the biggest possible dude. It's found out he tries to kidnap Bailey He's at also one a point. racist cunt. Probably mm. he's the most racist. racist cunt. Yeah, he's um, like, oh, I, he's like, oh I, Earth, you Earth people are so diseased. That's not what I think. Of course, I'm not actually a racist, but he's, he's I'm not racist, but that's like his, his entire motivation is to make sure that humans get stuck on Earth and rot. He ever. also wants yeah. to make robots that fucking make babies. Yeah. He does want to do that as well. Um, and it, look, it turns out that he was messing with everything. Um, but it, that wasn't the whole reason why shit oh, happened. Yeah. Oh, they then, they have an arbitration meeting with the chairman mm. who is this yeah, old grumpy old guy who's so sick of having to deal with everyone's problems that he's 
super short. Uh, and eventually they managed to imply that probably Dr. Armadillo... Armadillo. Uh, Let's just call him yeah. Dr. Armadillo. Yeah, Dr. Armadillo. <laughs> yeah. Um, possibly accidentally fucked up the robot in his attempts to understand how it worked. Yeah, like they, which proved, is, they proved enough that he was engaged in a conspiracy yeah. to uh, with uh, Vladia to tr- get Gremonois to go and try and date uh, the Solarian woman um, so that they would get out of the house so that Armadillo could Skype uh, Jared uh, and uh, then while he's doing these Skype calls, ask him probing questions to backwards engineer how to build that sort of positron brain. So, and... Eventually, though, at the end, it's it revealed that none of that actually happened because oh, one of the happen. robots... It did happen. It did happen. But that's not the reason why the robot is locked up. Jander, sorry, Jander. Jander is dead. Jander isn't dead because of that. Jander is dead. Was it Jander or is just Jander the one who could read minds? No, Jander is the one that's dead. Uh, it's Giscard? Yeah, Giscard. Giscard. Uh, another robot who's been accompanying him this whole time, Giscard, can actually read minds and telepathically has been te- telepathically manipulating every character that we mentioned mm. um, this entire time. Which, to be fair, they did give us a little bit of information where we could have figured it out ourselves, but we weren't going to figure this one out ourselves. <laughs> yeah, like, um, um, I knew this twist, and that yes. was that's the main reason why I recommended the book, because I thought it was the most interesting bit about the book. Yeah. Um, and so reading it, I was uh, I know that uh, he brings up several points in the book previously, like, oh, how could you have known, blah, blah, blah. So I was keeping aware of those points. Yeah. And every now and then, basically, Giscard is coming up, is asking certain questions at just the right time, uh, sort of preempting Bailey's needs. Yeah. Uh, and he dismisses it as, you're just a really good robot at knowing what to do. Yeah. But it's because he's telepathic, uh, that he knows what is needed before it's yeah. asked for. It was, for me, the point which seemed a bit strange was when he asked Daniil and Gascard to leave him alone. And Daniil is like, no. And Gascard, who is a less advanced robot who should be saying no, says, yeah, sure, let's do that. And even Bailey at that moment surprised. And he's like, mm. I didn't expect Gascard to be the one to support that argument. Mm. If that makes sense. Like, so. I thought that was meant to be because Daniel is very clearly in love. Yes, he <laughs> in is. In robot love yeah. with Bailey. That, that was like that. Like, I remember when you, before you said, hmm, are they, like, we asked you, are these, are these like, pu- uh, buddy, ro- cops. Pu- buddy cops in love? And you were like, yeah. And I was like, I did not expect it to be that explicit. <laughs> no, all right. So... This like if this if this was adapted into a TV series today, it would go like it would be like a Good Omens adaption. It would yeah. be made like okay. absolutely canon. I mean, they, they don't right say they're in love with each other at one yeah. point. Yeah, they do. Yeah. So there's a rough summary for everyone. Mm. Thank you for bearing with me. I don't on think that. we really mentioned the like other robot. Oh well, I guess we. There's so it, much. Yeah. Yeah. We can't describe the whole thing. Read the fucking book. That's yeah. what the so fuck like, is. Uh, I was all the way through it. I was thinking if this were adapted to probably like a TV miniseries, um, how would it look? And uh, one, like, the obvious way to do it, I imagine, would be to make it this beautiful, amazing, uh, lush, gorgeous, fantastic sci-fi. But I think the most interesting element of it to do this visually would be to visually portray uh, Bailey's agoraphobia. Um, He is terrified of open spaces. Um, Outside, like, in book one... He'd hate a day like today. Yeah. He he passes out traumatized because of a thunderstorm at one point. Yeah. in like the first book, he he can't go outside. Uh, right. Now this is the third book. He has act, he can actually kind of deal with just walking through an open field, um, but then a thunderstorm like yeah. ruins his his whole shit. 
Um, and so I think that when you, if we, you were to do this as a TV show, that means you have a lot of small enclosed sets. And every time he kind of goes outside, you would fuck with the visuals, make the blue massive, and make outside terrifying. Yeah, I think that would be really cool. That'd be cool. Kind yeah. of like midsummer. Yeah. Um, and the way and. On the one hand, it means that you can imply this really advanced world without having to show it, and yeah. it kind of it might look good or it might look crap. Yeah. Uh, you can still show an advanced world, but it's going to be all these clean sort of rooms, like all of the yeah. bathroom scenes, the personals are like oh, holo- the or they're all holodecks. I need um, to use the personal. Everything on this world seemed wildly impractical. Yes, yeah. uh, like the out the bathroom that was set to maximum outside. I believe is how you put it. <laughs> yes. So at one point, Dr. Fastoff, in an attempt to test whether Bailey is up to snuff uh, and in terms of if he can actually conduct an investigation in this environment, uh, invites him to use the bathroom, which he has set to a holographic projector that makes it seem like he is so outside that he literally can't use the bathroom because you can't see anything. Yeah, he's... He's yeah, basically a, well, in a rainforest and the toilet is replaced with a small stream. Yeah. At one point he's just like, I don't know if this is where I'm meant to pee, but I'm going for it anyway. <laughs> yeah. I would ha- I would have in the TV show, he, he goes and he pees and then like he uh the the outside gets turned off and he goes like, ah oh, shit. <laughs> he's just gone in like the corner or something. Well, or he hears like the splashing, like, oh, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't, that doesn't sound right, but it's too late to stop now. Um, it's his fucking problem. Yeah. Everyone treats him so badly, despite the fact that they invited him here and made him come. Also, this I we are not doing justice to just how horny this book is. Mm. In the beginning, where he gets summoned by the shitty Earth robot, which I pictured like very easily, like just kind of so unadvanced that it rocks from side to side as it walks, mm. kind of robot. Um he gets summoned and he gets briefed by a person who I can only describe as Tits McGee <laughs> because that's the majority of her description. She's an older woman with gigantic breasts on display. Every woman And that's in this like every single woman. I had no idea Isaac Asimov was this horny yeah. as well. Every single character enters, their boobs enter the scene first. Every female character. This is, so, and all the men are so mediocre as well, <laughs> like. Dr. Fastoff is clearly a self-insert, by the way. The <laughs> yeah. way he's described, and then if you look up a picture of Asimov, they're like the same person. Yeah. Like, he's looking oh, at does, does, does Isaac Asimov have any daughters? Yeah. I believe he does. <laughs> dun, dun. <laughs> did, <laughs> hey. did Asimov and Freud ever have a conversation? Because <laughs> hey, I think they were alive at the same time at some point. Hey, Dad. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure they yes, daughter. Um, I'm reading your latest book. Um <laughs> It's kind of this fucked. Like, oh, fun. yeah. Well, how, are you liking it? It's like, um. Do you like it? <laughs> Asimov would have loved this day and age of pornography trends. <laughs> he would have. Oh, imagine if like his works were getting adapted today and he was involved. Yeah. It would be. It, it would be a bit much. I like think. a lot. So much of. Yeah. The book just goes on to things like. This is horny uh, Gla- uh Gladia is fucking Janda or was fucking Janda and. Because she uh, she was previously on the world of Solaria, I can't exactly remember what their deal was, but they I, were like all extreme introverts. Yeah, everyone, Puritan introverts. Yeah, hyper introverts. Uh, fucking is only ever done to make babies like once every couple of years, and it, because of your obligation, no one knows how to masturbate. Um, the and she has a lot of sexual trauma carried over from that. Um, and so when she goes to Aurora, where having sex is the equivalent of a handshake. If someone's like, hey, you want to fuck? They'll be like, yeah, right. And they'll fuck. And it it's described later on as uh, 
it's going through the motions of like it's fashion, mm. uh, which also sounds pretty interesting. Um, it's fashionable to fuck doggy style this season, don't you know? Um, yeah, so she's got all of that going on, and so Bailey's breaking down what does it mean to be a, a husband in this society, blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, yeah, also there was this asshole who kept trying to date me. Uh, that did not age well. <laughs> no. That didn't age well at all. Uh, like, every time she says no, I just want her more. I'm like, oh. Uh, it, it reminded me of this scene in, um, have you ever seen Cabaret? Seems like something you would have seen. Uh, yes. You remember that scene where, like, that, where, like, I'm the main character, the woman, uh, the, the, the Jewish guy, I think, is, like, talking about how this... He's like in love with this woman, but she keeps rejecting him, and she's mm-hmm. just like, "I'll oh, just throw her down and have a have your way oh with her. God. She'll love it." <laughs> it's basically like that. Ooh. Yeah, it's there's a lot of problems in this, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, in terms of like, if you're if you've got sexual hangups of any kind, you probably shouldn't read this book. <laughs> this is uh. It's real. This book is interesting because it he is. He certainly did, and he wrote the book, which is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is like a ton of discourse on sex from someone who had no concept of gender or sexual fluidity whatsoever. And he's pulled out all this deep lore and uh, different ways of breaking this thing apart, all this discourse that is useless. That never questions the fact that it shouldn't be like that. Yeah. Like, he, he's clearly unhappy with the dichotomy. Mm. but he can't reject it, if that mm. makes sense. Like, um, like, it's interesting. Later on, I'm pretty... So, Bailey, I would say, could be argued get sexually assaulted by Gladia. Yeah, that's a bit much. Um, uh, that was that was a bit weird for me, because he's kind of like... Look, they, they clearly... He's clearly much happier with her than he is with his wife. Mm. It's not really mentioned his wife too much, other than she worries a lot and generally kind of ruins everyone's fun. Like, <laughs> Which is- she was involved heavily in the first book, um, and she was a bit of a like she was uh, a problem in the story. Um, so they've got kind of a testy relationship. Um, but like it, at the start of this book, he's like uh, the son's being, "Hey, so that uh, Solarian woman, like, uh, what what do you think, Dad?" And he's like, "No, shut up! I'm a married man." Like. I can't. I look. I'm going to Aurora. I'm not going to Solaria. I'm not going to have to see her. It's going to be fine. Goes to goes to Aurora. Immediately she says, "God fucking damn it!" Like, oh. This whole book is just him going, "God fucking damn it!" Yeah. Like it's. I think you know the thing that really I sent you that image of. Oh, what's his name again? That famous actor who's smoking. And he just looks. Oh so uh, yeah, dumb. I know the one you're talking oh, ben about. Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck yeah. smoking, and he just looks like. Ugh. That's him, like every moment of this book. <laughs> yeah. That's how I always pictured him looking, like internally. Oh yeah, we exhausted. I, I don't think we mentioned like the really important point that him, um, like solving this case was like the whole Earth's whole future was yes. dependent on it. it yeah, was. like in a con- sort of contrived series of events, if. Fastoffel is leading the political faction on Aurora is the most important space of the world, and so the others will kind of follow suit or it's got influence. Fastoffel is the leader of the political faction which favors letting Earth go out and colonize because they did it first and they and hey we can ju- they can just throw bodies at it who cares um, and also hey they made the space of worlds um, so he favors yeah, he thinks that like the spaces have become too comfortable too yes. Yes. too decadent yeah that basically there'll be no societal advancement. Yeah. And that if eventually, when humanity were to encounter an alien race, even if it doesn't result in war, we would eventually degrade because we wouldn't have 
the ambition and the mm. drive to compete. Oh yeah, I like that. Yeah. I like that the um the the th- thing was that the fear of being overtaken by like a much more advanced alien race wasn't that they'd wipe us out. It's just that we suck so much by comparison. We just die of depression. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we would be shown up so hard. Yeah. We'd be flexed on too hard, and we just we just take the easy way out. Like I can't live with with this. Yeah. So that's ha- that. Uh, Festoffel wants that to happen. Festoff. Festoff. I called him Festoffel in my head the whole time. Festoff. Yeah. Um, Festoffel does sound better. I uh, very much, that's <laughs> what I do with audi- with books when I read them as I mispronounce names. Yeah, me too. Someone's like, what about this character? And I'm like, who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, because Festoff, by his own admission, stress cannot stress this enough, Festoff is the only person who could have killed Janda. Uh, and he, he? he says don, that he don, didn't. Don. Uh, the opposing faction, it wants, instead of Earth, to build armies of human-form robots uh, to colonize worlds uh, for them. Human-form robots are robots that look like humans. Look like humans. Function as humans as much as you can. Basically, the robots from, from, yeah, the rebooted Battlestar Galactica. I pictured them a little bit more like alien um, setting androids. I pictured them a lot like... um, like I pictured um, both of them like Michael Fassbender, so that's probably why. <laughs> I saw a um, yeah. I saw someone make a uh, like a book trailer using Michael Fassbender as mm. yes, because I uh, that's how I pictured like very log- but they're perhaps a bit more advanced than they are in this, but still, mm. yeah. And the human form robots uh, to an Earth man are indistinguishable from a human. Uh, Aurorans can tell a difference because there's subtleties in them. Um, but Fastoff is keen to keep advancing this. He was uh, Daniel. Maybe aside from being slightly more emotional, was basically exactly like Data from Star yes. Trek. Yeah, like I, I, I would be surprised if Data was just full on ripped off of yeah. his yeah, of definitely. This character. Um, yeah. The opposing faction wants to uh, get these. Ro- and the what the fucking strategy is so wild. It's we don't want to colonize a planet because that's hard and dirty and ill gross. Mm-hmm. So. We will build robots to colonize it for us. Like, oh, you mean like terraform and build structures and stuff? Like, yes, but we also want them to build the society. Okay, hang on. Yes. The robots will uh, act just like humans, men and women, uh, going along, even child robots, actually building a functioning, living society uh, of people going yes. to work, going home, and all of that shit. And then once that's all in place, the Aurorans start to migrate. Yes. So... I can see why Fastoff has a problem with that because that's effectively robots replacing yeah. Yeah. humans. Um, What's the point? Yeah, and in which case, what is the point is kind of the idea. Um, and yeah, it's also a Roman society, while it has its pluses because no one seems particularly uncomfortable, mm. is also, as we've kind of touched on, deeply fucked in a lot of ways mm. and has lost touch with a lot of things that seem to make people happy, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, like it's very much a comfort over happiness. There's no self-actualization on the yes. pyramid of needs. What, what I found really There's weird is that needs. like marriage was the point, like children was the point of marriage, but they don't even raise the children themselves. No. Yeah. What's the point? Of, why, uh, yeah, to them, like uh, Fastoff raised his daughter himself, and that is seen as incredibly fucked up in Aurora. Yeah. Um, and his daughter it uh, feels that she was wronged because he did that. Um, and also because he didn't have sex with her. Yeah, and I also because he didn't fuck I her. I can't stress <laughs> enough how upset she is at this fact, how ludicrously upset she is. It's like if one of those like porns where this happens 
where except instead of except there's no accepting of the advance and it just kept going <laughs> like which is a hilarious concept to me i would love to see that one day mm. where it's like oh how can i fix brother, my pipes we how- should do this and he's like no, that's a bit weird and that's like <laughs> half an hour video of that i've that would be so funny now yeah. <laughs> just to have that happen and just to like have her go through therapy and that kind of stuff and figure all that out mm. <laughs> So Dr. F- so Dr. Armadillo uh, is wanting to build this robot society to replace his own society, which he doesn't have a problem with. Like, it sounds very like, yeah, robots replacing humans. He just doesn't care. Uh, but he can't do that because he doesn't know how to build human form robots because the academic society on Aurora is hyper-individualist. Because they're humans all dirty libertarians. Yeah, they're all dirty libertarians. Because humans live so long... People hoard their research to themselves, hoping to complete projects on their own and thus get all of the glory. And because they live so long, they, it's actually feasible. Uh, no one cooperates. And so he keeps all of the secrets to human form robots himself. The uh, the opposing faction wants those secrets. And so when Janda is revealed to have been destroyed, they're very upset. And if it's revealed that Fastoff did kill Janda, he would lose political sway. Earth would not be allowed to colonize. Yes. It's all quite, it's very complicated, but mm. also very simple mm. in a way. Uh, basically, yeah. So this, the thing like that really, I was a little bit like, oh, I'll probably like this. But I think it was when, um, it was when it started to be like, did she fuck that robot? That's mm. when I was like, did she fuck that robot? <laughs> I remember listening to it and being like, just waiting for like, did she fuck the robot? And then she fucked the robot, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I'm in this. I'm in. I'm in now. Um, and then it just got more fucked, and I was like, oh my god, I'm having the time of my life listening to this. This is so good. I I didn't remember any of that. I knew. I did was, not remember this. I don't know. I don't know. So I was I re- so unprepared for what this book did. I remember the robot husband chunk of it, yeah. and I remembered like people fucking robots is like a sort of a side thing, and I knew that Aurora family customs were weird, and they didn't raise their own kids, and that uh, fucking was a handshake. Uh, but I thought that these were side tidbits, not the entire like middle third the of the book. Entire book. Yeah, like the majority of this book is discussions on not even like the robots. Every now and then, when they exit a scene, you're like, "All right, uh, Giscard and uh, and Daniel, what the fuck did you think of that?" And they're like, "Oh, yeah, this, this, this." I'm like, "Okay, we need to go here because I've got a brainwave. We're gonna go and do this." Like, "All right, uh, cool." Like third law, something first law, whatever. The fuck. Okay, cool. All right, did you fuck the robot? And then they <laughs> launch into it all again. Yeah. He has to like compose himself between because he's also Bailey as a character is under so much stress because it's implied that if he fails, his lifelong ambition of being able to colonize outside of Earth will be failed. He will lose everything back at Earth because everyone's a bit jealous that he's so great mm. and any excuse to tear him down will be taken. Um, he is given this case that is literally unsolvable. He doesn't solve it. Mm. We should point out. He is told the solution at the end by the person who did it. He does not solve it. Uh, oh, no, he, no does, he, he does solve it. He, he figures he, out who he, did he, it. He, he just he, never uh, got the motive. He never yeah. got the motive, I guess. But it's this is an unsolvable, almost an, a completely unsolvable situation that he's put into. And it's compounded by Fastoff's stubborn insistence that it is unsolvable. It is effectively only solved through magic. Yes. Uh, because he's told the legend that the legendary Susan Calvin, an ancient roboticist, 
invented a telepathic robot. He's told this by Fastoff at one point, and Fastoff's like, "Ah, oh, it's just a fucking children's story." If he hadn't been told that, Bailey would have never suspected that telepathy could be a thing. And if he's not told that story, he doesn't solve the case. No. I didn't even suspect that telepathy was a thing because it, it seemed to make it like the expert on robots seemed to be quite sure that it was impossible. Yeah. yeah. Just <laughs> so, guy whose whole life's work is building a robot brain, and to build a robot brain, he must understand the human brain. So he needs to fuck up his daughter and Bailey to gauge their reactions to build better robots. Yeah. And I can't. Am, we are not doing justice enough to how infuriating Fastoff is because he not he not only like makes this really really hard. He seems to delight in doing it. Mm. Like he seems to think it's the funniest thing on the planet. Yeah, every now and, and then Bailey's like losing his mind. I'm just I'm just appreciate that he was slightly less racist than anyone yeah. else. Oh yeah, every and now and then Bailey is like, okay, so you said you didn't do it, no, no, no. Um, I've got a theory. What if uh. This person did it because of these reasons. I found out this. Uh, I found out that Gladia was fucking yes. Janda. Is it possible that if there was an emotional relationship, and by not fucking her, he would do her harm, and by fucking her, he would do her societal harm? That the robot got into a first law loop. Yes. And is it possible that yes. this could have had some way? Like, oh, that's an amazing theory. Absolutely not. No. You're a fucking idiot. No. <laughs> I, I just, uh, I just thought it was so ridiculous that they got a guy who knows. Nothing about how robots work to try and solve a case about, like, really... Like, it was never even really properly explained to us how this can happen either. Mm. And But he's somehow meant to figure out how this can happen with having absolutely no understanding of how this could happen. Yeah, like, I liked the explanation. I think it's given fairly early on of, like, uh, the basic idea of a first law loop of being by action you would cause harm and by inaction you would cause harm. And so the robot then doesn't yep. know what to do and gets caught on a loop. And the and then they like kind of hand wave and go, all right, so a hyper-advanced robot can't do that, but it's still f- susceptible to the same flaw. It's just more difficult for that to happen. Yeah. It basically sounds like robot version of OCD. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, but I do like how... Well, I've, commanding robots in this seems to be emotionally manipulating them yes. better than other people. It's like, me, the most important person in the world, is asking you to do this. And therefore, if anyone else asks you to do the opposite, then you shouldn't do it because I'm the most important person in the mm. world. And they're like, yes, you are the most important person. <laughs> and therefore, I will do that. It's, and a it's, of, it's a bit of like a JoJo power yeah. uh, that like characters will be facing off with each other, explaining how awesome they are to each other until one of them eventually relents. Uh, of all of these, like, like I've got a million robots. I've got two million robots that can punch your face in yes. better than they can punch my face in. You forgot that we're in a waffle house and waffles <laughs> are circular and therefore can be used as projectile weapons. Yes. Like, it's that kind of this gotcha it sort of stuff. Definitely a wordy book. Mm. Yes. Um, I, I feel like if I had read this, I wouldn't have had nearly as much fun. The audio book I liked a lot, partly because it was so crunchy, it gave me a bit of an ASMR thing because it was a so lo-fi in a way, which I liked. I found it a bit hypnotic, which is kind of what carried me through until it became deranged. <laughs> yeah, uh, so like, so I, uh, <laughs> for the purposes, I found two different record- audiobook recordings. One is like ripped from a uh, cassette uh, and, is, and is real juicy crunchy. And the other one is like a later high fidelity recording. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed the, the cassette quality one. It, it does have a good... It has a certain to charm it. to yeah. it. 
I like the narrator had a very nice way of making this would have been quite a dry book, I feel. Um, but the narrator had a way of making it like a bit more enjoyable. It was like a little bit of milk with your cereal. Yeah, so these are the uh, the Doofus uh, Robots of Dawn reading, which was the high quality one, and the ASCII uh, one, which is the crunchy one. I think I did the ASCII one. Mm, yeah. Uh, that one's 380 megabytes versus 1.26 gigabytes. Yes. So it was, um, it was definitely, I think, the audio book I would strongly recommend over mm. possibly reading this because I think I would have struggled a bit reading it. Mm. I don't know how you guys felt. Did you read it? Read it. I read it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I guess yeah. Like uh, we kind of skipped over it, but yeah. Opinions. Did you have a good time? Uh, you I've said yes. I feel mm. like I did. Uh, more, a lot more than I thought, <laughs> and for the reasons I didn't think would happen. Yeah. yeah the unexpected like trap card of. <laughs> I think you have done the worst job on this podcast so far of preparing <laughs> us for a topic <laughs> in this particular thing. I, I will take that. Yes, so, <laughs> but I actually think in this case, it probably made this more enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm kind of glad that you did. What about you, Claire? Yeah, um, it was definitely a lot juicier than I was expecting. Mm. Like, I don't because uh, Isaac Asimov, from the reputation I've always gathered about him, it was always about, like, you know, the the the... I think I already said this in our last session about how it's just sort of the sci-fi concept kind of thing. It's all about like examining that, like teasing out hypotheses yeah. and conclusions, which and stuff. I was involved in this book. But I, I was under the impression that like plot and character and emotion was sort of more in the background. Mm-hmm. But it definitely was not in the background mm. in this. It was um, <laughs> like the characters were actually like felt like human beings. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. humany human beings and, and very strange human beings at yeah. points. And like emotions was it, it it had but there was also like it was a very it had um it had emotions you could get invested into on top of yes. the mm-hmm. concepts and that made for a nice well rounded book, I thought. Yes, this yeah. was ultimately uh all reading into the author's fetishes aside, mm-hmm. this was um I think a well done book. I don't know if he mentioned this in the first part, but I read Asimov's wiki page, and for the first half of his career, he published a thousand words a day on average. Wow! And the right. second half, one point five thousand. Wow! Well, yeah, he's his, written, he wrote yeah. a shit ton of books. That's in. It's refreshing to have an author. I, this might come from being on Tumblr, where everyone's like, "I can never write anything. I always have ideas, and I never write." And, and there's always that kind of thing of like the author who's always struggling to write a book. I like it when authors come around who are good at their job. Not to say that authors who struggle there, but ones who can write, you know, like consistently, because that's what you have to do to be a professional writer. And if you can't do that, I'm kind of always like, well, can you be a professional writer if you can't? Uh, George R.R. Martin. He writes a lot. He just doesn't write. He doesn't write what we want him to write, but he writes a lot. Mm. Stephen King writes. Too much. Too much, arguably. Um, but it's nice to sometimes come across authors who just are completely unbothered by author's block, who mm. can just write. Like, yeah. it's like the, he's, couldn't he's, be me. He's done <laughs> hundreds of short stories, and he's got this... Uh, he's got all of these robot books. He's then got all of his foundations books. He's then got all of these other books that just kind of yes. fit in between, and he would go back and forth in the stories, like... He would write the foundation and fan, uh, I can't remember the order, but foundation and Earth, foundation and Empire, uh, and then he would go back a step and be like, "Okay, but I think between these two novels, I could fit something in because I want to talk about this." So and then I'll go even further back. Was this series meant to be the prequel to the Foundation series? Yes, but 
I don't think that he envisioned it as his grand tapestry. It was more like, I've already set up these robots and this other thing. Rather than explain them again, I'll just drop them into Foundation. Yeah. And like the timelines are far enough in like hyper futures away from each other that he's not going to result in any continuity blips. But like they do mention psychohistory in this book. Yeah. They mention uh, the concept of psychohistory, which will later be Hari Seldon's brings it to perfection, and that is what causes the foundation trilogy, the foundation series to start. Yeah. Um, the idea that you can predict human history by basically data data mining yeah. uh, all human actions. Fast Fastoff is starting this sort of work because Giscard put the idea in his head. Yes. Yeah. And then thousands of years later, Selden will finish it uh, and create the foundation to avert barbarism at the end of the current galactic human empire. Um, Apparently in the um, Foundation TV series adaption, there's a character based on Daniel. Daniel. Uh, I've watched like the first two episodes, I think, of it. Uh, I, I haven't come across them so far, uh, but I, I w- definitely wouldn't pass, wouldn't pass them. Is it good? Uh, it's good so far, yeah. It's, okay. got, some, it's got some good... Uh, classic-y sort of sci-fi stuff of the scope and the scale. There's a very there's a sequence very early on where a space elevator is on the human empire capital world, and the space ele- elevator is shown as being like thousands of kilometers tall as a space elevator needs to be, and it is massive. And there's like three dozen elevator shoots on it, and it takes several hours to go from the top to the bottom to land on it. A terrorist. At- this happens in the first episode. It's not spoilers. Um, a terrorist attack blows up and severs the chain. Uh, and so the chain starts to fall. And because the planet is rotating, the chain wraps itself around the planet three times. And they can't stop it. So they're just like looking out the window and seeing basically t- the Tower of Babel crush Coruscant beneath it, killing millions of people. And they can't stop this chain because it's just falling. And so it wraps itself around the planet three times uh, and, and in the process like crushes so many cities. That sounds awesome, but also I don't believe that anyone who that had the techno- technology to build a space elevator would not have the OSH backups to allow that to happen. Yeah, like, well, and yeah, it has really good scope and scale. I I've been watching it on and off a little bit, um, but yeah. So I don't think that it wasn't really in the sort of mindscape I think of Asimov to look at it as I'm building this one big work and look at all these cool little bits I'm dropping into it. Uh, kind of like how Star Trek sort of is done uh, where it becomes more about the universe than the stories in it. He was definitely more like Bailey is a vehicle to allow me to get these detective stories yeah. out. Selden is a vehicle to allow me to get these big sci-fi opera stories yeah. out. Yeah. It's similar to kind of how one of my favorite book series, which I'm probably going to introduce to you, which is the dark tower series by Stephen mm-hmm. King. Um, that becomes I don't think it's a spoiler to say that that starts to become his multiverse. Yeah. I'm, uh, especially near the end. And um, to be fair, considering he does most of this retrospectively, he does a not bad job of it, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And the Dark Tower is kind of meant to explain how some of its continuities and the laws of the kind of general metaverse work. Mm. Um, but I think he does a similar thing where I don't think he ever intended them to all be there together, but he does a decent job of doing it, you know? Um, which, to give him credit, like as much as I rag on Stephen King's for his newer work, he's got some pretty amazing shit out there as well, including mm-hmm. one of my favorite series, so I can't be too hard on him. Yeah, they can't um, all be bangers. Yeah, they can't all be bangers, and a lot of them aren't. But, it's, um, <laughs> but some of them are. That's mm-hmm. the important part. So, yeah. Isn't uh, there one that like, 
he wrote where uh, an asteroid passes by Earth, making all electronic appliances sentient, uh, and then they go around killing people for like a day. Uh, and he wrote, and he didn't remember writing it because he was high on crack. Yeah, um, this sounds like something he do. Most of what he, I believe, the story, partly because yes, that does happen. Uh, he does get high on crack a lot. I think, or well, maybe not nowadays. But he also, um, yeah, as a general rule, Stephen King's plots are: what if Blank was evil and killed you? <laughs> um, what if The Shining is? What if a hotel was evil and killed you? Um, Cujo, what if a dog was evil and killed you? <laughs> so it's like, kind of like Pixar's "What if X had feelings?" Yes, effectively. If you can take almost any of his books, what if a dome was evil and killed you? What if a clown killed? What you? if mist was evil and killed you? What if aliens killed you? Yes, that kind of thing. Like, what if vampires killed you? Like, it's all that. Um, it's it's very straightforward, but it does, but it works well. Mm-hmm. And it, I think. The reason why I'm, I guess I've come onto this is because I feel like in certain ways they're very different in their thematic kind of, you know, Asimov is sci-fi and robots and Stephen King is things that go bump in the night. But in ways, they're very similar authors mm-hmm. in terms of high work rate, tend to produce things roughly upon, with roughly similar beats to them, if that makes sense. Yep. Obsessed with a couple of core ideas. Probably cocaine. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, weird sex stuff. Yeah, it's yeah, they're very similar, <laughs> which is interesting. Mm. Um, trying to think what what are the other things in the book that came out? Yeah, just a lot of Bailey on his way home is just going to lock himself in the room on the rocket ship uh, with a bottle of bourbon. Yes, uh, no one comes see me. I'm turning the lights out, and I'm just going to drink myself stupid so I forget yes. this whole nightmare. He has to I- think about what he's going to tell his wife. Yeah. I mean, he seemed to imply that, oh, we all do it. We just don't tell each other about it. But maybe he just thinks that. Yeah, like, uh, Lady is being all like, uh, stay with me, run away forever. And he's like, you, please, you, one, I'm a married man in my culture. That is, this is really bad what I've done. Uh, you don't seem to understand how bad the thing is that I've just done. I'm glad that you're happy for it. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. This is wonderful. I have to go back home. Because the whole reason why I came to this godforsaken planet was to save my planet. Yes. Um, and also, like, I do, going back to that whole, like, sexual assault thing, he was in a very difficult position to decline anything because he was physically exhausted from having a panic attack in the rain. Yeah. Um, I thought that it was going to be a, because it started off as a dream hallucination thing. And I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, sure. And then, and then, it sort of does clip it to real. I'm like, please don't mention her breast. Please don't mention her breast. Please don't mention oh, her breast. She's I'm sucking on a nipple. <laughs> it got really weird when he was like getting recovered from the thunderstorm and they're like swaddling him and all yeah. of that. And he's like, I am a baby again. <laughs> yeah. Man, babies rule. Why do we all be babies? Yeah. <laughs> There's another weird. I feel like this was written for fetishes that I don't have. Yeah. Um, so, um, so, yeah, that's. This book was boy. I hope this doesn't awaken anything in me. Yes, pretty <laughs> much. Yeah, but yeah, on the way home, he's going to have to re- probably explain to his wife that actually I did fuck her this time. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't last time, but this time I did. Uh, and also, like, this woman got good dick once and just fell madly in love. Mm-hmm. And he's like, other people will fuck you. <laughs> like, it's fine. Yeah, like you live for hundreds of years. I Fuck mean, this he, creepy guy. She, she, he, he outright told the creepy guy to just grab her and kiss her. So yeah, <laughs> and then he told her to do not resist. 
Yeah, it's... Look, maybe we shouldn't be listening to Bailey so much. <laughs> Bailey, in uh, in a lot of ways, is going, man, you guys are really fucked. But in other ways, he's also like... He's Kirk, also really fucked. Kirk drops down to a primitive planet, blows up the god computer that's been keeping them safe this whole time, and says, now advance, be They're free like, from your shackles, and leaves. The spaces are like racist cunts, but also the humans seem to use robots as an opportunity to bring back plantation-style racism. Well, like... I, they did make a point in the novel of how you Aurorans say that you're equal with robots, but they don't come, they're not allowed into the toilets. You yes. order them around, they stand around in nooks, yeah. uh, just looking weird. Like, yeah. you don't realize that they are still, like, they are still literally slaves. You're not equal with them. Yeah. And they're like, what are you talking about? Of course we're equal with robots. Like, you just told this robot to fuck off. Yeah. And when he, he tries to challenge um, Armadillo by being like, can I take my robots into the bathroom? <laughs> and for Gritadive, he's like, Yes, you can. I don't have any problem with that. Because <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot of fixation on bathrooms. I know we keep coming back to this, but robots aren't allowed. That's like the one biggest thing. Robots do not go in bathrooms. Mm. That's so fucked to them. Like, they're so upset by that concept it's of a robot just being in a bathroom. <laughs> it's weird because like one it, of the, like, modern practical it, applications for robots is in elderly care yeah. and helping yeah. someone get dressed or shower. That is, like, that's where robots are, like, in Japan, it's like, man, fuck, we've got an aging population. We're going to need people to care for yeah. them. And there's a lot of research going into robots that can care for the elderly in these sort of ways. Um and it's super weird. That's the one application they're like, absolutely not. Speaking of weird bathrooms, like it's also, there's no like single use bathrooms on earth, but also it's like taboo to talk in them. Uh, to be fair, that's just pretty common male culture. Oh. Men, <laughs> he does mention that women talk in bathrooms back on earth and men don't, which is pretty much, that's what it is now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Men don't talk in bathrooms. It's weird. Okay. Like, we don't. <laughs> Like that very much. Every okay, I thought this was a weird. No, no, I thought no, this was a weird Asmov thing. No, but that's no, that's no, that's true, it's guys. A weird man thing. We do not. There are some situations when there'll be like, or there'll be like a rank of urinals, and like some people are like chatting, or like if you're in a pub or whatever, they'll they'll be chatting loudly, yeah. and I was like, oh man, guys, shut up. I'm I'm not. Or if someone like starts a conversation with you at a urinal, you're like, oh man. Uh, yes, cool. We'll talk when we get out of here. Can, yeah. can we not? It's just a little strange. Um, is there are rules around males' bathrooms. <laughs> right. That's one of the areas where men have more, I would say, arguably more rules than women. More hang-ups. <laughs> is when, when, we get in that ba- when we get in bathrooms, there's things. That's it. If it's there a sacred is, place. No robots allowed. If there <laughs> is the option to use a urinal that is not directly next to someone else. If you do not choose to use those, you are a deranged person. (laughs) And even if there isn't any other option, most guys will simply choose to wait until the other person (laughs) is finished. There's a lot of things going on here. We also live in a weird (laughs) fucked up world, right? It's like that, uh, there's a meme image of uh, picking your seat at the theater and it's yeah. a completely empty theater. Yeah. One person's already bought their seat yeah. and the person selecting it has selected the seat next to them <laughs> and the comment is about to make a friend. Yeah. <laughs> it's It would be like that. Like, imagine you're at a cinema with no one else in it and the one other person decides to sit directly next to you. <laughs> like, it, it's just a bit weird. Sometimes mm. it's like when someone chooses to sit directly next to you at a bu- on a bus. When what about when you're like at the space. sinks? Sinks is fine. Yes. Yeah, it's mostly if dicks are in hand, you do not say anything. 
It's a yeah, that, that's, the, that's the general sort of thing. Yeah. Washing hands, you're like, yeah, all right, whatever. Because yeah. I think it's, you would wash hands outside of the bathroom when you're at the kitchen or like, uh, or, or whatever. Um, it's the easiest way to tell if a guy is massively drunk or on drugs is if he breaks this rule. Because <laughs> it happens mostly at bars and clubs. Yes, yeah. yeah. When people are off their face. So Anyway, cool. Yeah, Enough about weird men hang-ups. Yep. Uh, the, the one hang-up in the book, which was like pretty spot on. Okay. That hasn't changed in like, <laughs> yeah. like the 60 years since this was written uh, or whatever. Getting back to the whole point of like Asimov not having a sense of scale, uh, I thought it was funny that like um, the Earth in the book, which is apparently was considered a wretched hive of like massive bodies Scum crawling all over, each, mm. over each other. It had like just over eight mil- eight billion people. Currently, we have like seven and a half billion people. Yeah, we so. had it to eight by like a decade or two. Yeah. Uh, so, and and um, like the city, the, the hive city was living in was I think according to my half asleep back of the napkin calculations, less dense than Tokyo currently is right mm. now. Yes, I, I think we can just kind of attribute that to. 70s sci-fi that like this is the kind of thing where Soundwave turns up in Transformers and <laughs> is considered a a supercomputer because of the vast sto- he can store so much information on the vast reels of magnetic tape in his cassettes <laughs> and he's like yeah. I can store eight megabytes of Just information eight like, old God, megabytes what a computer <laughs> like every now and then uh, I find it weird to, that you could probably hold the consciousness of a Transformer on a thumb drive <laughs> they do by that standard they oh, do God. at one point like Optimus blows up and they keep him on a floppy disk yeah. and reboot that thing that happens in an episode um that like oh this isn't a transformers podcast let's move off <laughs> not this. yet not yeah, yet well there's like a Decepticon bit in t-shirt one day there's a bit in star trek next gen where like whenever data is asked like how powerful a computer he is and he spits out a number and i think that by this point in like sci-fi writing they were aware of how they'd missed the mark in previous decades so they deliberately did pick like a crazy high number, but also with enough sort of fluidity in it that it wasn't like a hard and fast thing. It could be broken. I think that we probably have passed what data said with his com- computational ability by now. We have, yeah. But like, it was a fair bet for the time. Mm. Like it's it's less so it's less egregious than Optimus being stored on a floppy drive yeah. kind of thing. Sure. So they, they did get better with it as they went on. Yeah. I can't think of anything else that I want to cover on this. I think we've covered the general yeah nutsness of this does anyone have anything else that they want to get said uh um nothing extremely compelling yeah no i'm, I'm glad you had a good time i'm <laughs> shocked and appalled at what i read yeah. <laughs> you I'm did all, this to I'm all a fluster <laughs> it like barely anytime Bailey is in a room with a woman I'm like please don't mention her breasts I know that you're this horny guy and that is what horny guys do but please you don't need to write this down for posterity I I would like to get on my soapbox and say that I'm sick of this general obsession with describing women's breasts when their ass is also right there why yeah. don't we get other there are other yeah, but you parts can't see it of as people looking, you can't see it as you're talking to them though no oh so you could notice eventually hips <laughs> legs Every bit is good. There are good parts. There are other parts of people other than breasts. We can objectify more things, people. We can also objectify men that way. So let's just objectify. I don't really have a problem with objectification provided that it isn't so cliche and overdone Mm. and directed purely at women, if that makes sense. He walked into the room with a six-pack shredded all to shit. I felt like I wanted a great cheese on it as he walked (laughs) in the room. I would love that. Um, 
I guess it's one of those things where I don't mind a book bringing up that someone is very attractive. Because yeah. I don't mind there being attractive characters. I just, when it's so clearly meant to be just like, I just want to make a cast of women that I would joke off to. I think that's a, I, that's a bit skeevy oh, and gross. One thing I did want to say is I wonder what a team up between um, Bailey and Matt Richter would be like. Oh, yeah. Because they do have like similarities, but also different kind of niches. I think they like, hate each other. <laughs> yeah. I think that uh, Bailey would be far too slow. So Matt would be like, you're going to get killed if you yes. sit down for an hour with this demon and try to talk into That's death true. about this thing. Matt never stops moving. Fast off, barely moves at all. Not fast off. Bailey, Bailey. never moves yeah, at and, all. And uh, Matt is a lot of like, I know what what these things can do. I only need a, a little bit of information yes. based on this person's reaction to a thing. And then cool, I'm off on the next bit. Bailey is like, now, how did you feel <laughs> if this happened? What would then be? And he's like, dude, this demon's going to eat you. Yes. Uh, if it was, yeah, in, but it like, depends whose world they're in. Yeah. It, but if they were in, if it was Richter in um, Bailey's world, he would probably be ra- he'd be killed from racism, probably, <laughs> because he's like the quintessential dirty human because he's dead. <laughs> Um, and I feel like, yeah. So we need to find a setting that was perfect for both of them. Bailey would just like, get torn oh, apart they... immediately. You could like put Matt Rector inside of like a robot shell would, to protect him. Would, would a would a ro- would a robot consider a zombie human and subject to the three laws? I think that they would probably consider them human, but would also be immediately freaked out because they're like, this human is dead and dying. And is in an incredible amount of pain and hurt, and I can't do anything. But they're not in any pain and hurt. Well, psychological pain and hurt. Yes. Yeah, like I think the robot would be really distressed, uh, just at all time being around them, being like, "I want to try and do no harm and help you and stuff, but I can't." And this is what is going on. And I think there would be a lot of like it trying to flick. Is this like when an AI looks at a picture and goes, "This is a dog or a loaf of bread." It looks at uh, Matt and goes, is this a corpse or a human I need to care about? Yeah. And that would be a difficulty. He maybe would probably put a heap ba- of robots into lockout. Yeah, yeah. maybe that's what yeah. really killed Janda. Yeah. <laughs> he read Necropolis <laughs> and he was just like, oh! <laughs> and I, I, think <laughs> if, I think if Bailey rocks up in Matt's world, he dies in like an hour. He dies very quickly. Yeah. He's um, he, he can barely tolerate... Non-gendered bathrooms. <laughs> How is he going to survive in the sprawl? Oh man, Matt. <laughs> Matt in Bailey's world would just instantly be like, "Oh man, this is so relaxing. Like yeah. you don't need to." Matt would have a great time. <laughs> Bailey would while. instantly die. He he would have a great time for a while, but then he would realize, like, "Hang on, you guys don't fuck." Or like, "No, we fucked. Like that's not fucking. That's I don't know what you guys think fucking is, but that's not fucking." I've seen fucking. Trust me. I've seen much. things you people wouldn't <laughs> believe. <laughs> Attack dicks on fire yes. off the gates of Uranus. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think that's a good place to end it. Um, yeah. So. Uh, we need to cross over our like hyperfixation. We do. We do at some point. We need to make our own metaverse. Yes. Uh, so yes. 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 So. All right. Basically, thank you for listening. Like, subscribe, hit buttons, do whatever you need to do to make yep. it Pull seem those like you like those cocks. <laughs> whatever you seem to do to like this podcast. Um, the uh, So, uh, email is hyperfixationpod at gmail.com. That oh. is hyperfixationpod at gmail.com, hyperfixationpod at gmail.com. Oh, thank you, I Goldie. Like, I like asking for I that. know you do. <laughs> I thought I would subvert the formula How? this time. 
How dare. I know, how it, dare. So th- Thanks for listening. Uh, is there still that one uh, Icelandic person who was listening Irish. to... Irish. Irish. Irish person. As far as I can tell. I'll see if I can log in and show you guys this stuff later. Uh, what are you doing next week, Claire? Because it's you. Ghost. Ghost. Oh, the Patrick cool. Swayze film. Okay, ghost. <laughs> Not the pa- uh, Patrick Swayze film, the band, correct? Oh, the band okay, ghost. ghost. Okay. <laughs> Helpful. All right, thank you, everyone. Cheers. We'll Bye. see you around. Ciao.